and he's singing. He's, a good, he's got a good, vo- good little voice on him, and he's singing, and I like kind of smile, you know. I'm like, oh, that's cool that he's singing that song. And um, I stopped to get gas, and at this point, we'd already dropped John Owen off, and um, I get back in the car, and the song is on again. And so I was like, did you, did you play that again? He goes, yeah, it's my favorite song. Well, I teared up, and I choked up, because what James didn't know, he had no way of knowing, is that in Christ alone is the song that his mother walked down the aisle to. Now, you're like, that's a weird song to walk down the aisle to. <laughs> well, there was a, we were making a declaration at our marriage. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, my cornerstone. Like, we're making this statement. As she's walking down the aisle, she's saying, my husband is not who I'm putting my faith and hope and trust in. It is Christ. He's my cornerstone. And as she's coming down the aisle, my, my thought process is like, we are going to serve the Lord together. We are saying, he is the cornerstone. Our marriage will be built on Christ that's what it will be built on. Like we're making a declaration of the gospel to the people at our wedding who were there uh, to watch us be married. That Christ is it. That we're going to follow Christ. And so that many years later, 16 years later, to hear my son say that's his favorite song and to sing it so passionately just meant a ton to me. It, 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 it meant a ton. So songs are special to us. And songs are special to us when the words, the music, the melody, whatever it is of the song meet the circumstances of the moment. And when those two things happen, when, there, when there's some sort of special moment and there's a song that plays and th- those two things meet, uh, man, they, they, they get a special place in our heart. And today, we're going to see a very special song. We're going to see a song where... It's written by Mary, but it's written around the circumstances that were so beautiful and mattered so much, not just to her, but throughout the rest of eternity. Now, here's the big truth that I want us to walk away with as we uh, work in this text today. And this is the big truth, is that saving faith is belief that Jesus is the Son of God, And trusting him only for salvation. So saving faith is belief that Jesus is the son of God. And we trust him only for salvation. There's not salvation found in anything else. Now, our our sermon today isn't going to be specifically about music. We're not going to talk just about music. We're going to break apart this text. But I just would note as we go into it. That the scripture that we sing, the songs that we sing should be filled with truths about saving faith, about Jesus and him being the only way. All right, so starting in uh, the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 39, we're going to pick up where we left off from last week. Buddy preached the, the, the previous passage last week where uh, it was the enunciation of, of Jesus, the pronunciation of Jesus, rather, um, that the angel came to Mary and told her that she was with child. And so here we are, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so we're going we're gonna to take apart this passage first before we go into the song. And here's the big idea that I want you to see in this passage. Is that faith brings blessing to those who believe in the Lord's fulfillment of his promises. Faith brings blessing to those who believe in the Lord's fulfillment of his promises. We're going to talk about Mary's faith here. But as, before we talk about Mary's faith, I just want to point out that Elizabeth also had faith. Elizabeth, I mean, she's the one who's pronouncing, blessed are you. She's making these, these pronouncements that you're, you're blessed. Uh, she, she had faith. Uh, she definitely believed. And why wouldn't she believe? Here, here a lady who is well past childbearing years is now six months pregnant. Um, she, she knows what, what had, had happened, what was could, uh, happening between her and her husband and how her husband was silenced in the temple that day, right? So she knows, but she, she had faith. I would also just point out the mention of John the Baptist, that John the Baptist knew. Right? John the Baptist had faith in the womb. Uh, and it shows that he, he left. Now, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is how it happens, that, that this is supernatural, that that baby is, is able to recognize uh, that that his cousin, who he came to be the forerunner of, right, that he came to make way for, to, to proclaim that he has come and walked in the room, and he hears Mary's mother's voice. And so I would just note that, of, that, 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 isn't, a, that isn't a fetus, that, that is a baby in its mother's womb at six months old, but also that it recognizes that that, that baby just days after consummation, just days old, also is recognized as a baby, right? So Elizabeth believed, John the Baptist believed, but we, we look at this passage and we see that throughout history, uh, it's been preached and will continue to be preached about Mary's faith. And so, this is what Elizabeth says about her. Blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. That you're the one, Mary, that was chosen by God to birth the Savior. You're, you're blessed. And she looks at herself, of, of, of someone we're talking about a humble estate in a minute, but she looks at herself as like, and why is this granted to me that my mother, that the mother of my Lord should come to visit me? I, I'm blessed to be able to visit with you, my cousin. And this is what happened to the baby in my, my womb. She then says again, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so, why was she blessed? When I say the big idea, faith brings blessing to those who believe. Why was she blessed? She was blessed because she believed. What did she believe? She believed that God was true to his word. That's what she believed, that when the, the Lord visited, or the angel visited with her and said, this is what going, is going to happen, she believed it. She believed that God was true to his word. We say all the time that God's saying is his doing. That when God says it, it means that it will be done. 
you know, she knew, she would have known the Bible. She would have known God's word. She was um, a, a Jewish girl, would have been taught the Old Testament earlier this year. We talked about Deuteronomy chapter 6 and the Shema and, and, and the discipline in which uh, the Jewish people, the Israelites, passed down their faith to their children. She would have known the stories of the Bible. She would have known that a Savior was, was promised. She would have known what Isaiah said, what Jeremiah said. She would have known those Old Testament books that were, that were telling, uh, prophesying the coming of Christ. She knew God's word and she believed it. But she also trusted it. We see in her actions that she trusted what God said was true. It wasn't just belief. What are those, the Bible tells us even the demons believe and shudder. It just doesn't take believing in something as real or true. It's trusting in it that it's true as well. So she believed it. She depended on it. She acted on it. It's shown in the very fact that she went to visit Elizabeth. That she made the journey to visit Elizabeth. When we look at Mary's life, it shows her belief does function in action. So she she knew his word, she trusted it, she depended on it, she acted. This week in my study, uh, I, was, I was reading, and I, I often read a, a pastor named Kent Hughes. I, I, I like to, to read his writings. And he said this. He said, saving faith is belief plus trust that issues a proper passivity. Okay? Now, this is, this is a kind of a, a, a long quote, and I want to break it down. I think this is a very powerful quote, and I think Mary's, this is a great, Mary's life is a great example of this. So faith is belief plus trust that issues a proper passivity. That passivity leads to a total dependence on Christ, then it flames into activity and produces a life of service. And so he's, he's making this point that there, there are four things that have to do with saving faith. It's, it's belief. It's believing, right? Mary believed that it was God moving in her, that that was God's baby. She trusted. I'm going to show you how she was passive and how it led her to action. That this is what saving faith looks like for us. It's, it's that we would believe that God is who he said he is, that Jesus is who God says he is, and that we wouldn't just, we would, we didn't just say Jesus is Savior. We would trust that Jesus is Savior. That we would say, okay, I can't save myself. I'm trusting that God will save me because God said he would save me. Because God says, I'm believing and I'm trusting. And then that will lead to passivity. A, pro a proper passivity. So we, we would talk about all the time when we talk about salvation. That salvation is by faith and not by works. When we believe that salvation is by works... We work for it. We work to be saved. We try to do good things or the right actions or the right ceremonies. We try to, to uh, pay the, the, the right price for our salvation. Whatever it would, would, would mean, whatever faith background you're from, that it would be works-based. And so it's, okay, we're going to do these things in order to be saved. But Christianity is different because it's saying, no, Christ has done the work. So I'm trusting, I'm believing that Christ is doing it on my behalf, that I don't have to do it, right? That we're, we're saying, I am a sinner. I am unable to save myself. It is Christ who is saving. Christ who is the one who has the power to save. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
Not through your works, not through your actions, not through your church attendance, not through your good deeds, not through your good vibes, not through prayers, not through what, whatever, right? It's through faith. In what? It's by grace you've been saved through faith that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? That, that while we had this sin debt, that Jesus died on the cross, that he took our punishment, he took our shame, and he bore our sins, right? And that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. So it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not by work so that no one should boast. That's what it, it says. So it, this is where passivity comes into our salvation. There are aspects to our salvation where because we, try, we believe, we trust, we sit back and realize it is God who's done the work. It is God who's moved on our behalf. It is God who saves. But that passivity leads to activity. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one may boast. But you are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. That, that's the beauty that we see in Ephesians chapter 2 is that this, this unmerited favor that we did not earn is given to us but yet it calls us to action. It calls us to activity and that is what saving faith does it is it is belief and trust that makes us realize we cannot save ourselves so that we leads us to be totally dependent on christ for salvation and then because of that it 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 gives us this desire we say in our church all the time what god works in us works out of us we're not saved by our works but we're saved for good works it's that god moves in us and so anything that as christians that we do we do answering the commands of Christ after he said, follow me. After he drew us unto himself. After he saved us. Then it gives us into this activity and this life of service. And so here's why Mary's this beautiful example of that. Because the angel visits her and tells her what God has done. And she believes it. She trusts it. And then here's where the beauty comes in. Does she, does she do anything? Does she sit back as in, in, her, in, in, in her, her thought process and does she, does she make the baby grow in her belly? No. The, 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 did, did she, she wasn't even with Joseph. It's the Lord that did all of it. It's the Lord's moving and working while she waits. But then it leads her to a life of activity, a life of nurturing and fostering um, the, the care that Jesus would need to be raised. And so we see in her this belief and trust, this passivity that led to activity. And it is, it is beautiful. So she was blessed by it. Faith brings blessing to those who believe in the Lord's fulfillment of his promises. She knew his promises. She knew what the scriptures taught. She knew that the promise would be made. And she is saying, I, it is, I am blessed to have it come through me. Elizabeth looks at her and says, you are, are, are blessed that the Lord chose you for this. And so out of this moment comes this song. Now, you've got to think. She's known that she was pregnant um, for, 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 for days at this point. She had had a journey. She had been, been thinking um, 
this is the, what comes out of her. And, and, and by the way, I would, I would just say, inspired by the Holy Spirit would be uh, the words of, of Mary in this song. We see this in Scripture. And so she says, I'm going to read the whole song, and then we're going to break it down. So starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And so here's her song. We're going to break it down, starting with the first two verses. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And so here's my big idea that I want you to see is that faith leads us to worship. Faith leads us to worship. Uh, Christianity is often called the singing faith. In, in Christianity, we, we sing. We come and we, we, we sing songs. It's not, it's not true in every religion. Right? We, we gather together. This isn't, we're not just singing kumbaya. This isn't a concert. We're singing these songs of the faith. Paul says, uh, in, in Colossians, he says, you know, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart towards God. We're seeing, we see other places, this, this mandate to gather, and when we gather, sing. There's, there's two, 200-ish songs in the Bible, maybe, maybe a little less. 150 of those are in the book of Psalms, and we see uh, the Psalms. Many of those written by David, we see this list of, of songs. We see different times in Scripture uh, interesting enough, the very first song in the Bible, the song of Moses. The very last song in the Bible, in Revelation, also the song of Moses with some words changed. There's, there's beautiful bookends. And we see song after song, the songs of Moses, the song of Abraham. We see the, these songs of, of David. And I want you to know something. Mary would have known them. She would have known these songs. She would have grown up singing these songs songs, but there's one song in particular that we know that she knew, and that's Hannah's song. Book of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 2, Hannah can't have children, not been able to have children, and Eli, Samuel's dad, gets visited by by the Lord, and um, uh, this is what's said. This is what Hannah says after after it's been told to Eli that you, she's gonna she's gonna be with child. You're gonna have a child. Oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I'm the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord for this child. I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to Him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He's lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And so the story of Hannah, when Hannah gets pregnant, she says, Lord, this is your child. 
And, and this, as the story goes, as, as soon as she was old enough to wean Samuel from, Samuel was given to the Lord to serve the Lord in the temple. And so here's her song. Listen to her song and listen to how it sounds very much like Mary's. Mary, Mary knows the pattern here. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's none holy like the Lord. There's none beside you. There's no, no rock like our God. That is, it is, you see this beautiful song that Hannah sang that here she's kind of repeating. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. In, 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 with her faith, it is leading her to see the greatness of God, to, to magnify to say, look how great is our God, just like Hannah did. Look how great. There's no rock like him. There's no God like him. And so over and over we see this pattern in Scripture that's to magnify, to make his name famous, to rejoice, to lift his name high. It's what we're commanded to do in Scripture. And that's what she does. And so over and over these songs would be sung and she would know them. Our faith leads us to worship. In our church... We talk about worship, we, we use a certain definition of worship. And if you've been around very long at all, you probably know this. And so we would say that worship is taking our mind's attention and our heart's affection and placing it on the Lord for who he is and what he's done. We gather to sing corporately, that's what we're doing. Okay, so we're taking our mind's attention. And so this is different than just, you know, being in the car and, and having tunes playing and singing a song that, that, that doesn't have a great meaning to us, but we know the lyrics and it's a catchy tune. Right? It's saying, no, it doesn't, it's, there's like songs that we sing all the time. We don't even know what the words mean. Right? We're like, one of my favorite artists, John Martin Millen, he's writing Christian songs. Half the time, I'm like, that's poetic, but I don't know what it means. <laughs> it sounded good. No, we're taking our mind's attention and we're placing it on those words as we're singing along. This isn't just a sing along, we're singing truths of Scripture, and so we're proclaiming that. So our mind's attention, it's teaching us. The songs we sing should be theologically rich. So that they teach us. That's why we're not just going to sing songs with seven words sung seven times in line after line after line. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Here, you know, we're gonna, we want to sing things that are theologically deep because we're putting our mind's attention on them and they're teaching us. But it's not just that. It's we're putting our heart's affection. We're, what we're singing, we believe, or at least we, we ought, right? We're, we're singing because we believe it. It's what we believe. So it, that, an affection comes with it we're putting our mind's attention and our heart's affection on it and there's there's a few songs in my life that have that have kind of hit me that had great great meaning to them because remember remember what i said early earlier i said um songs are special to us when the words the music the melody of the song meet the circumstances of the moment and there's a few, a few songs in my life that, that are really powerful and really mean a lot to me. And Christ Alone is obviously one. Another one, I'm kind of embarrassed to, to tell you this one. But um, Mercy Me had a song called I Can Only Imagine. And I had just really, I had gone through a really, a, a really important spot in my spiritual journey and my faith walk where I had repented and said, I'm following Christ no matter what. I'm turning 
I'm going to follow you. I'm, I'm shedding off these idols, and I'm going to follow you. And, man, I, I can see it. I can see the moment in my head where I, I didn't, I'll be honest, like, you know, I turned off Rock 93.7, and I scrolled over to, like, 87.1 something, the fish or something in Atlanta's Christian Station, and I'm listening, and I don't know Christian music at this point. I'm driving up the road. It's, like, 7.15 in the morning, and the sun's coming up, and there's a persimmon tree that, that's shining through. Anyway, I just... I know it's persimmon tree, and I, this song comes on, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel, and I just start bawling. I'm dying, like, I, and like to this day, if I hear that song, which I, I don't like listen to Mercy Me or anything, but if it comes on, I'll, I'll tear up, you know, it means a lot, because, because it was showing me, man, the beauty and magnificence of Jesus. There's another song, a song I had heard hundreds, if maybe not thousands of times grew up singing in church and it meant nothing to me until it did until I got to a place to where I understood what the song was saying that song amazing grace I can't hear amazing grace without tearing up amazing grace how sweet the sound who saved a wretch like me and that's the line that gets me that's the line that holds all the weight because I realize, I remember singing it and realized that I am a wretch. That I am a sinner. And that I am broken. I have all this sin that I've rebelled against God. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. I realized what it meant that God's grace was amazing. It meant that it's amazing that I had done nothing to deserve it. Nothing to earn it. But yet he gave me this unmerited favor. That he had given me grace. And so, when we understand our faith, when we understand God's word, we understand what he's doing, it should lead us to worship. When we, when we gather on Sundays and we sing, we should sing with passion, with our mind's attention off the things of the world, repenting of things and, and face, placed fully on Christ and who he is for what he has done. The weight of what he has done should be the reality of why we're singing. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were deserving of God's wrath and judgment, that God saved us. Right there, There's who he is and what he's done. What did God do? God sent his son to die for us. And that ought to be the reality that we're singing. Verse 48. We'll move on. With the next thing I'm going to show you. For he has looked on the humble estate of the servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And so here's my next big idea. Faith leads us to hum humility. She says this, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. You know, in, in history, specifically, specifically within Catholicism, Mary's been built up to be something that she did not see herself to be. Buddy, Buddy talked uh, deeply about this last week. He explained this. Mary saw herself as in a humble state. And she says she herself is a servant. She's not, there's no divinity in Mary. Mary wasn't this divine being. She was, no, she was a normal 13-year-old, right? That's about the age she would have been. Uh, that would, would have been what was normal in their, their, their culture for a uh, young woman to uh, get married, to be betrothed, would have been about 13 years old. She was a normal, sinful girl. 
her language isn't a whole lot different than Paul's. When she says, he looked on me in my humble estate when he says that I'm the chief of sinners. I mean, it's the, it's the same thing. She realizes her humble estate. She's humbled. And she realizes like the magnitude of this. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. This humble servant the Lord has chosen to do this thing through. He's chosen my womb to birth his son, the Savior. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. It's this, this, this declaration of who I am and who I'm not and who he is. That, that's what she's saying. Her faith leads us to humility. Our understanding of who we are and who God is should lead us to humility. To looking at Christ for who he is. There, there is beauty here. There's beauty. We're going to see it again. This is not, this is not the only time that, that this is, that humble estate is used in this song. She's saying, this is my humble estate. This is what they, they do. Now, we're going to transition to a different part of this song. This is kind of the introductory. Verse 50. And his mercy is far from those who fear him from generation from generation to generation. I read that wrong. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. In verse 56, which I did not read before on purpose, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Here's my next big idea. What God has done in the past fuels our faith for the future. What God has done in the past fuels our faith for the future. Now, this song, this writing, there's a certain genre to this writing. And we read it, it very much seems like she's talking about what happens in the past. But she's actually prophesying as she's singing here. She's prophesying what's going to happen in the future. But I want you to understand, it's what has happened in the past that is fueling her faith to know what her son is going to do through her. That's what's happening here. It's beautiful. That we could read this and we could think of this is what, the, what, what God has done in the Old Testament. But rather, we read this, it really makes sense. To know, hey, she's saying this is what Jesus is going to do in the future. Her her. Knowledge of the past, what God has done in the past was fueling what she said in the future. I'm going to read this again and think about how you see this in Jesus' life, even before he died, much less what he's, done, he's going to do throughout eternity. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Particularly here, he's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to the offspring forever. These would be the things that Jesus would fulfill. Her faith was, was, was this, this belief that trusted that God was going to do through Jesus 
what he would do. And she could look back in the past and she knew the history. She, she knew the plight of Israel. She could look back to the days of Moses and remember Moses' songs and remember how the Lord delivered them from Pharaoh. She could think of that deliverance and those ten plagues, right? And, and she would remember what was the tenth plague but the Passover where the Lord made the sacrifice and saved the firstborn. And now what was the Lord going to do? But take her firstborn and make him the sacrifice. Oh, she, she would have remembered all those mighty kings, those mighty evil leaders. And when she says he's brought down the mighty from their thrones, she would remember Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and even Herod, who would be the leader then, who was, was going to eventually try to kill Jesus, to kill her own son. But what happened? But the Lord humbled him, didn't he? He brought him down and he raised people of humble estate. She would have known. She would have remembered. And that would have fueled the faith for the future. But now can't we look back? Can't we look back and think about Nero right after Jesus' death and how he tried to stop the gospel from going forward. He tried to stop the disciples. But guess what happened? The Lord humbled him. We can go up through every period of history. You can jump up to, to Genghis Khan or Stalin or Hitler or Castro. And what do you see but God's mighty, sovereign hand doing what God does? And so just like Mary, this is how we ought to be. We ought to take God's word... And we ought to be able to look and see what God has done in the past. And we should let it fuel our faith for what God is going to do in the future. That we can trust God at his word. And the song of Moses that was sung in Genesis to know that when it is sung in Revelation, it's because God has answered his, his promise that he is going to return. That he is coming And so in closing, I would remind you again of our big truth. That saving faith is belief that Jesus is the Son of God and that we would trust in Him only for salvation. So Father, we come to you, Lord, thankful for your word. Believing that it is true. And Lord, asking and praying that your word would truly be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. That we would truly hide it in our hearts. That we would not sin against you, Father. Lord, that our faith would increase. Lord, that we would believe. That we would trust. And that our trust would be evident. That as Christians, we would live, we would live lives that say they trust in the Lord with all their heart. And they lean not on their own understanding. In all their ways, they acknowledge God. And look, he's making their path straight. He's the one who's doing it, Lord, that, that our faith would, would, would lead to a trust that looks like passivity. And, Lord, that we would answer the, the, the great commission, the greatest commandments, that we would love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves, that we would be your faithful witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and that we would make disciples of all nations. We would be faithful to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, move in us. Grant us larger faith today. 
Help us to see the truth of your word and help us to walk in it. Lord, let your promises that have been fulfilled in the past fuel our faith for the future. And so, Lord, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response.